Okay, Dawson, um, this is why I should lead normally. <laughs> you definitely got us lost, but now we're out of the woods of wisdom. I can see Curiosity River, and off in the distance are the plains of inquiry where we left our teleportation pet. Let's start walking back there. And, uh, oh, man, we can't just go two steps in this dimension without running into a city council candidate. Look, there's Terry Wong over there, council candidate for Ward 7. Uh, Terry! Hey, Welcome. How Hello. How are you guys doing? Oh, we're doing pretty good. Interview Dimension treating you well? Oh, all the time. <laughs> <laughs> it's wonderful. Look, it's fresh fruit growing everywhere here. It's a beautiful, idyllic dimension as we've designed it. Um, thank you so much for you know meeting us here in the dimension. Uh, sorry all the candidates and ourselves are so scattered across this dimension, but we keep seeming to find you guys pretty reliably. Um, thank you so much for taking your time out of the campaign. Do you want to tell our listeners who follow us in spirit form, ethereally, around this dimension, uh, who you are, uh, you know, what you're running for? Uh, really give us, uh, you know, the coals notes of your campaign. Great, thank you. Thank you for having me. Yeah, I've been wandering around here as well, looking for people just like you guys. <laughs> but, you know, I like to get uh, my message out there. So yeah, I'm glad you asked. Uh, so fundamentally, I just actually live up about a kilometer away from you guys over here, over in Hansard Heights, Briar Hill. Uh, I've been there for about six years and certainly have had run-ins with a lot of your students, uh, your uh, um, fellow fellow students here. But uh, yeah, I've been in Hounsland Heights. I'm also your community association president for any of the students that happen to be re residing in Hounsland Heights. Uh, by all means, drop by our community center and uh, there's a lot of stuff going on over there. Additionally, I'm sure some of you guys are coming down to Chinatown as well because I'm also the executive director of Chinatown. So whether you're down there for, you know, bubble bubble tea or uh, bubble waffles, we got a lot of that for you guys. But uh, yeah, so I've been executive director down there for the last six years as well. And the thing about that is really, I think that's important for uh, everybody, but certainly our, our students here. We want to make a great experience for you guys. You know, great destination, great experience. That's our focus. And you know, taking that forward, that's also what I'd like to do for uh, for Calgary as well. And then uh, for some of you who may not know, I'm probably, I mean, you probably can't see me through the, the <laughs> this vir virtual environment, but I'm a, yeah, I'm a 62-year-old uh, fella. But uh, what that basically says is that I got a lot of experience, and that, that includes 30 years at the city as a manager in a variety of different areas. So, yeah, I think uh, I could be your grandfather, father, and hopefully your best friend. <laughs> <laughs> Perfect. Uh, so speaking about, uh, you spoke a little bit about making a, you know, Chinatown a destination, expanding that over to the city. Uh, we know Calgary's had a, uh, it's had its ups, it's had its downs. Uh, but as economic revitalization comes into play and is really at the forefront of everyone's minds and uh, uh, everyone's talk during this election, we, students really want to know, what role do we have, what role do you see us having in ensuring this economic revitalization, this recovery, and how can, how can you, uh, should you win the counselorship, empower students to participate in that? Yes, you're right, a great question. You know, I have to say that when I started my career, you know, over at, uh, well, close to 20, a couple of years ago, um, you know, this is in Vancouver and that, we got a lot of great opportunities, you know, coming out of coming out of school, whether it be uh, getting down to, you know, in this case, it was Vancouver, Chinatown for me, but also uh, getting in, in involved in small businesses, getting involved in, uh, you know, whether it be engineering type companies and that, a lot of my colleagues were where uh, once I say college classmates, I guess is the best way to put it. You know, we went out there and, and we just knocked on doors and, and uh, found it really, you know, uh, interesting to, to, uh, to, to, you know, how to say, try different things. The good thing about uh, the, the economy and the environment right now is that there are opportunities. And when I say that, people will say, well, we've got a 9.6% you know, 9 unemployment rate. 
That's true. But a lot of the small businesses we talk to, they are looking for people, especially given the economic times. Uh, you know, having having young people with new ideas, young people who are willing to come on in and and uh, innovate and be uh, be new to new to the industry. That is, you know, that's one of the things we're looking for. Um, people also talk about you know brain drain and, and uh, kids leaving here. You know, what I will say is that Calgary is still a great place to be. You know, uh, where else can you be? You'll be? We can go skiing in the mountains. You know, first thing in the morning, and come on back here and and be downtown and go uh, whether we go watch a Flames hockey game or or uh, you know partake down Seventeenth Avenue or whatever. This is a a great city to do that all in. Yeah, absolutely. Uh, I'm going to focus in on, on something you said as uh, Calgary being a great place to live. When it comes to arts, culture, and leisure uh, in the city, how, how how would you move forward to kind of empower that? How do you feel about the stadium? You know, um, there's various kind of big ticket items that have passed council that are for sure happening. Uh, how can we go forward and not just bring, you know, world-class talent, as I've heard other candidates say, to the city through things like the stadium, but really empower our local community of artists, uh, create a create or you know we already have kind of a thriving um, art scene here through things like Sled Island. How can we help that grow? How can what's council's role in fostering that community? Sure, I think one of the greatest roles we got is creating what we call vibrant communities, which is a strong part of my platform. Vibrant communities is making a community where people enjoy living, working, and playing here. And as far as the uh, you know some of the examples we've done, if you've ever been down to Chinatown lately, we put up you know several different murals and uh, invited artists, and we actually you know pay a fairly good uh, um, I say uh, compensation to get artists to paint our murals. We've also built. Uh, what uh, eight uh, park benches? But each of these park benches, again, were designed, you know, by by students. Uh, um, where they they stenciled them out, and then what they got uh, was our seniors involved and actually painted them. So, so both the construction side, you know, the painting side and deployment side. And this is where uh, you know some of the you know, some of the um, opportunities are for you know for kids to participate out there. I shouldn't use the word kids, but you know, uh, what I'm getting at. But but really get out there and, and enjoy that. Some of the other things we also do is uh, you know we've got. Opportunities, whether it be in the Chinatown Business Improvement Area or downtown or Inglewood, Kensington, uh, uh, every year we host a lot of different festivals and events, uh, street markets. And these, again, great places where, you know, whether you're coming out to, uh, you know, participate or you actually come out to uh, uh, visit, you know, there's great opportunities for, uh, again, a thriving, vibrant sort of, uh, you know, arts culture scene here. There's, uh, again, also opportunity from a small if I say a small business perspective, anybody who wants to uh, set up a tent and uh, you know try out some new marketing ideas, products they want to sell, whatever case it be, you know that yeah, head to your BIAs. Uh, like I said, the BIAs are the great places to 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 nurture a lot of these ideas. Absolutely. Um, just out of curiosity, because um, I know you're in contact with the BIAs uh, quite a bit. Uh, you have strong kind of focus on business in, in both your platform and and in um, uh, the various public speaking events or, or appearances that you've made. What are you hearing out of the BIAs? Um, what, what are they kind of pushing for for uh, moving forward? Well, again, like I said, as the executive director of Chinatown's BIA, I deal with, you know, 14 of my other colleagues around the entire city here. And we're, you know, we are constantly working with people like Tourism Calgary, Calgary Arts Development, uh, Economic Development Authority, Chamber of Commerce, as well as the city of Calgary, to, you know, to create the opportunities so that we can showcase, you know, the, the, uh, the talents, the energies of our you know, of our community, and the entrepreneurship of uh, the community as well. So, some of the things again, as mentioned earlier, 
uh, in Chinatown in particular, we are coming up to Chinese New Year's this year, and you know there's a lot of different opportunities to participate in that. Uh, we are bringing out ice sculptures again this year, and uh, being the 2022 Beijing Winter Olympics, we'll showcase on that. So you know again, there's a uh, arts and culture. There's also uh, this particular year because it's the Olympics, uh, a sporting theme, and uh, we invite people to come on down. And if you you know you want to carve a piece of ice, let us know and. Uh, you know, we're certainly putting it out there for you guys. If there's a chainsaw involved, I'll be there. Um, <laughs> <laughs> um, so let's let's touch upon. You talked a little about vibrant communities, you mm-hmm. know, places people want to live, um, but also work. Yeah. Um, let's talk. Let let's let's focus on the live for a moment, uh, uh, Dawson. Yes, absolutely. So what I want to know is how will you ensure that we're going to be keeping housing affordable for students? Yeah, that's a good question. You know, the, one of the hard part of this equation is, you know, not just having affordable housing, but having quality, safe housing. That's a, that's the most important thing here. And certainly the, the way in which we do that is to ensure that we've got good housing supply, right? So whether it be housing supply, both in terms of, uh, you know, apartments and, and uh, um uh, student housing f- facilities or even private tenants uh, having you know uh, housing available. So one of the things that we want to be sure, and, and if I become counselor, is ensure that number one, that our you know, Building Safety Codes Act are you know rigidly followed. Because I've heard too many horror stories where you know kids are going into into you know bas- basement suites that you know either windows are closed and uh, sealed shut or the you know the, the waters are dripping or or the heating thermostat doesn't quite work. Happened to me. Thank you. <laughs> yeah. See, uh, yeah, you know, and I, I can relate to that. And that's one of the things that we want to be sure that, you know, if somebody's doing it, uh, that number one, they get the proper permits out there. But number two, if they're, if you're, you're in a, a situation like yourself, that, that, you know, you're uh, concerned about the accommodations, I want to open up a, you know, a, uh, uh, an anonymous, you know, um, tip line as an example where you can call into the city and say hey I'm a resident of this place and and uh, would you mind you know just dropping by doing an inspection nobody need, needs to know that it was you you know and it's just we'll find a way to ensure you know number one safety is the most most important I think that's paramount the second part of, of affordability of course is rent you know and just finding the the, the rental accommodations here um, currently it's actually yeah, from what I know from UFC as well as uh, uh, people around the area, there is supply, but again, there's supply only because we're in a pandemic situation where people are still, you know, some of them are, are uh, staying at home and being able to take classes at home. Once you get back to full-time studies, we've got to find a way to make that you know, much more affordable to you. And the ways in which we do that from a city's perspective, we have to make sure that the city's you know, permit fees so if a tenant wants to go in and, and upgrade their, uh, you know, their uh, electricity or the heating or, or uh, a new expansion, we need to make sure that landlords, again, you know, have a, a cheaper fee, permit fee to be able to get in and do that. But again, ensuring there's quality and safety behind that, that situation. The third part of the equation to make it affordable is taxes. You know, and if we're going to make the, the landlords, you know, the taxes, you know, less, uh, less onerous on them, that should hopefully translate down to less, you know, less uh, transfer to, to the renters. And so part of my campaign is all about making Calgary an affordable city to be in. So, if, you know, whether it be, again, for your landlords or yourselves as tenants, that's exactly what we're trying to focus on. How do we make that happen? Part of that is also about ensuring the city uses its resources in its best way. So optimize the dollar, you know, that they get. Uh, and if we optimize the dollars, you'll get quality of service and you know, the quantity of service, but again, without having to download more taxes to you. Certainly. Um, I think 
Uh, we'll, we'll stay on housing for a little bit because sure. I think it's one of the more interesting questions that students have. Uh, certainly one of the biggest issues that students deal with in their day-to-day lives. Um, and as people do return to in-person classes at some point, um, <laughs> fingers crossed within the next 20 years, um, <laughs> seems like this pandemic has taken forever. We are going to see people moving back into the areas surrounding these schools. Um, Couple of, couple of points um, that I that I like to touch upon. I think when we're looking at the idea of supply uh, in in areas surrounding schools, we do have we recognize we have students in every ward of the city, uh, which is why we get interviews from <laughs> from candidates outside of just Ward Seven. Um, we while we do have students come in from every ward of the city, there is uh, a distinct difficulty in in finding a place to stay that might be near or transitable easily. Uh, to places like say like UFC, um, uh, places like Banff Trail are, are highly desirable. Uh, University Heights, um, and these are areas that we see a prominence of single-family homes. I think secondary suite advocacy was something that student associations historically really were a big part of. Um, we know that students pushed for more secondary suites, more accessibility to easier, kind of the streamlining of the creation of se- uh, secondary suites, kind of as a compromise. Let's find a way that we can fit students into these communities without necessarily tearing down the whole neighborhood. Um, speaking to that, we do, I think this election is reckoning with, uh, and I'm sure you, you, you're, uh, you're hearing this all over the place, um, the idea of densification. And uh, we do have a large portion of our students who live in inner cities. And so when we're talking about pricing and affordable, accessible housing, increasing the number of that supply, especially in these areas, is something that's top of mind. Uh, What do you think about kind of densification, building up of the inner city? Um, We understand, I think the students understand that there are residents who are still there, uh, who are in their single family homes. But when it comes to things like restricted covenants, especially in places like University Heights, which students call D-Block. I mean, like when I was at U of C, I considered University Heights an extension of the residence system. Mm-hmm, um, and yet we can't develop there. Uh, how does that kind of interact? What is the reality of developing in the inner city, creating a higher, greater supply while being respectful of the community? What does that look like for you? Sure, sure. And actually, this whole justification housing uh, question is, is one of my prime platforms as well. Back uh, six months ago, I spoke in front of city council talking about what we call the guidebook for great communities. We talked about local area planning. We talked about the identification type of housing. And so everything, everything you refer to there is very uh, front and center with me. I'm a firm believer that we do need densification. I'm a firm believer that we do need to increase our housing stock, certainly as uh, not, not just for the, uh, the students that are there in the communities you speak about, but we are going to be a growing city. And as a growing city, there are people who do want to live closer to downtown as opposed to going out to the suburbs of Sage Hill, whatever case may be so by doing that we need to have an orderly process to allow that to happen and that's what we call local area planning in the local area planning side of the equation though there's two fundamental schools of thought that are currently challenging opposing each other right now one is an ideological sort of approach say you know we need to densified as much as possible. We need to build up as much as possible. We need to build smaller units as much as possible. And by creating more units like that, uh, we will be able to create you know, more supply. Therefore, supply demand, you should be able to you know, make it more affordable. One of the things I will say in doing that, though, and this is speaking to the um, both landlords and tenants as well as realtors, it is very much still a market-based economy. 
right? So, you know, you can you can take a house, you can knock it down, you can build it up, and, and what used to be one house is now a fourplex. That total cost of fourplex is, is likely, you know, from a c- construction cost perspective and land value, $2 million. Divide that by four, you'd think you'd be able to sell that for half a million dollars each. Reality, the market in those areas are selling them at 650 to 750 So, you know, what happened to affordability? I mean, at the end of the day, you created, you created four... Uh, four houses at 750, where the first house was 750 to start with. You know, so affordability didn't necessarily answer that question. What we need to do to make it more affordability is working with. And by the way, that <clears throat> that also applies in the rental market as well. You know, because again, <clears throat> pardon my language. Pardon me. In the rental market, the landlords are going to get do the, do the best to recover their investment. The, 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 what we need to do to create more affordability is, is work with the federal government, with the provincial government, and saying that the youth, the, uh, the up-and-coming adults, young adults, whether you're in school or whether you're a single, um, single mother with a child, we need to support them. We need to provide subsidies for them and the subsidies so that they can get a hand up in the world to get you know, move forward, right? Now, some of us in the previous generations might say, well, that hand up came from our parents, right? Our parents were able to help uh, us kids and therefore... In this, in this environment, I'm not sure a lot of parents can do that because they're burdened with their own debts as well. So, again, it gets back to the federal provincial government saying, look, can we, you know, can we provide some sort of rent sub- subsidization either directly to the students or to, to the landlords? But, you know, that, that is a fundamental way. It has always been a fundamental way to get you know, subsidization and therefore affordability into housing in place. Again, trying to get industry to do it and trying to get the marketplace to do it is – you know, it's a supply-demand world. It's just the supply-demand side of the equation uh, often overpowers the uh, affordability. Yeah, certainly. Um, I think the, the, the difficulty that students uh, sometimes have in finding, um, you know, housing at close to ca- campus, especially since we're surrounded, we, you know, we're big population centers mm-hmm. where people uh, uh, work and study. Um, you know, we have something like 20,000 registered students this year at SAIT. Well, not actually, but just below 20,000. Um, you know, there's routinely over 30,000 students at U of C. And yet these regions are, are just seemingly surrounded by single-family homes. Mm-hmm. This leads to students often going out to communities that are farther and farther away from campus, mm-hmm. which is fine if you have a car, um, but many of us don't. Mm-hmm. And that re- that results in our, our heavy usage of the Universal Transit Pass. Uh, before I get into transit-focused questions, which uh, Dawson, I can see it tells champing at the bit to be asking about, um, I do want to touch upon the U-Pass. Are you familiar with the sure, U-Pass? Uh, certainly. So that's our Universal Transit Pass. Um, it is negotiated between the institutions and the city, uh, specifically Calgary Transit. It's a contract that all the schools come together and they, they sign together. Uh, Student associations are absolutely not a part of the negotiations of that contract, mm-hmm. and our research shows that we are the only major city in Canada um, that where that's the case, where students simply are not a pro- part of the negotiation process of the co- contract that they are the prime benefactors for, um, and the prime primary users of. Can you uh, make a, can you make a, a a statement or a commitment on this? Do you think students can be should be let in the room? What is council's role? In, in making that happen? Yeah, I, 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 you know, myself, I pride myself as being what I call a representative type counselor. Uh, 
And a representative counselor is one who engages, you know, listens, learns, engages, and involves as many stakeholders as possible. So if uh, the, the uh, student unions of, you know, um, the state and, and the UFC and the MRU and whatever are not involved, there's got to be a real reasoning uh, that needs to be answered, right? <clears throat> so, again, I have no I have no uh, reservations of going back to our administration saying, okay, have we involved all the stakeholders in this discussion? Have we understood all the different needs and requirements of this? And then, then define what is the right right approach, the right answer to that question. So, yeah, not, not a problem having students involved in that discussion. Perfect. I'll toss it over to Dawson to speak a, a little bit uh, more specifically on issues surrounding transportation here. Sure. Hi. So I just want to know, what is your stance on the Green Line? Yeah, I'm a great supporter of the mass, the mass transit overall. Growing up in Vancouver, we've had the benefit of great transit systems, you know, uh, um, you know, uh, through my ages, uh, they, both living there and visiting there, and as you know, Vancouver's got you know their sky trains and they've been very popular. Calgary is, of course, uh, you know, made a, uh, a mark for itself for our LRT system, and certainly the Green Line is a, an extension of doing that. So yes, the the idea of having a Green Line is an important extension. The fundamental question, though, is my platform is always about doing the right things and doing the right way. So mass transit is the right you know right thing to do. Are we doing it the right way? That's the fundamental question that we all need to ask because they, the, if we take an approach that has been prescribed in the last couple of years, we may end up paying more than you know, we, we ever expected. In other words, instead of 5.6, it could be $7 billion. That $7 billion at the end of the day becomes debt on our future generations yourselves, right? So if you end up paying the debt, then that's less money that the city can uh, provide direct services for. So my question is, I'll be going back to council for is making sure that, you know, as we go forward, can we keep it within that 5.6 billion allocation? The second question I'll also be asking for, are we doing it in the right way? And sometimes the right ways, if you ever see the alignment going up Center Street as an example, it's a surface alignment uh, into, in a, how to say, uh, two center lanes, bus lanes on the outside, narrow sidewalks, no parking, you know, and a lot of the businesses there, are, are, are going to, you know, quite frankly, have said they're going to suffer. These are businesses that hire new young people, mm-hmm. whether it be people coming from the hospitality industry, people coming from the food services industry, out of state here, people coming from your business management community. So if these businesses cannot survive, then where are people going to get jobs, right? We want to build things right so that, again, the residents, the businesses, the community, the visitors, everybody you know, gets the best to maximum op- optimization there. So I want to, I want to, I want to, sure. I want to uh, uh, push farther on that uh, as well. We're talking about businesses suffering as the green line goes through. Um, you go to places like Europe, and yeah, I know it's cliche to reference European cities when we're talking about <laughs> North fair. American ones. Uh, but you go to places like Europe, you get off the the metro in, in Paris. You are surrounded by small local businesses. You can grab a baguette or a, you know. A uh, pastry and a coffee on your way to work. It's very metropolitan. Uh, we see businesses start to kind of build up and and thrive as a result of transit going through them. How how can things like the Green Line, which um, you know is obviously just being uh, contentious and has changed its shape so many times, how can things like the Green Line be done right in the in such a way that we put it in and all of a sudden Center Street's thriving? How can we do it right? Yeah, sir. <coughs> Farm again. The um, all the cities you referred to, you know, let's say Paris, uh, London, Hong Kong, uh, Tokyo, um, even Dubai. I've been to you know all those cities. Every single one has has mass transit that you refer to. But 
most of those mass transit where they have thriving businesses, those stations are either above ground or below ground, right? Because as soon as you take the tracks and put it on the surface, that's just less land for people to, to build businesses around. The other part of the equation as well is that if, you, if you're going to put a, a, a surface train on a, on a roadway, you have to know that you had enough roadway to do it within the first place, right? Center Street was not designed for that kind of carriageway. And trying to, you know, I, I, you know it's, it's like, say, uh, you know, trying to you know, stuff a you know, size, size 10 you know, foot into a size you know, 6 shoe. It doesn't work, right? So the question then becomes, how do we, how do we make that happen? We, in 2017, as we being New Crescent Heights and a lot of communities, supported uh, putting the train underground on Center Street, right? It became a cost, cost factor. So they, mm-hmm. they, in 2020, they said, well, you know, we may not get the money, so let's take the money now and put on the, uh, put on the surface and deal with the consequence later. The problem with that is that once you build it, it ain't coming out, right? Yeah. And, and if, you, if your businesses aren't surviving, you're not going to have businesses there. So let's do it right. You know, so I did po- I did polling. I asked a lot of people, would you reconsider this? If we were able to go to the federal government and say, look, just for this one segment from the top of the Santa Street Bridge to 16th Avenue, if we were asking for another, you know, a few hundred million dollars to put it below grade as a population in that area, would you support? And they said, of course. So it's just, you know, having the political will to say, you know what, to do it right, it does gonna, it does going to cost a little bit more. Mm-hmm. So let's ask for it. But in the meantime, let's not let's not commit to something that we're going to be buried in and not going to be successful with. Yeah, certainly. Um, yeah, absolutely. I think it's going to be it's it's something that was was contentious, and I I I, I know personally, I would like to see it uh, go underground. Um, we want those businesses to be seeing more traffic and not less land. Um, and but I, but I should also say, even if you put it underground, people say, well, that just continues Center Street to be a you know a car thoroughfare. For your people, well, two things I'll say. Number one, it has always been designed to be a car thoroughfare to go from you know, North Calgary into downtown, but it doesn't have to be the same car thoroughfare we have now. Meaning that we could have wider sidewalks, and instead of having six lanes across, we could get, get it down to four lanes across. Mm-hmm. Right. So the point being, you know, we can revitalize both the surface level while at the same time have a train underground. Yeah, absolutely. Um, I'll toss back to to Dawson. Sorry for interrupting there. To uh inquire a little bit no worries we love questions we love knowledge thank you for sharing uh, i'll be adding on so to disabilities the lack of accessible and available transportation is a major challenge limiting individuals from fully participating in all aspects of community life what actions will you be taking to improve the availability of public um accessible public trans transport sure i think the very first thing we need to understand you know, there are five modes of transportation walking is the very first Right, walking, cycling, and then be able to take transit, and then ultimately taking your your cars and trucks and everything else, and such. From accessibility, from a walking perspective, you know, yes, we need to do curb cuts so that people can wheel do the wheelchairs on on the intersection. Yes, we need to put you know, better signaling and crosswalk uh, lines on the roadway. Yes, we need to put uh, you know these rapid electronic beacons at crosswalks where it flashes. But the most important thing that we can do right now. And it would help a lot of people in accessibility, particularly those uh, with wheelchairs and uh, walking with crutches. We need to plow our sidewalks. Mm-hmm. We need to plow uh, the, the streets. And when I say plow, not just moving snow from one side to the other, removing it. So when we talk about 
you know, major corridors of, you know, 16th Avenue, you know, Center Street, uh, you know, 20th Avenue, uh, whatever. Those are corridors where, you know, initially, quickly, let's push it to the side, but follow up later on with the actual removal. Take it off and take it off the sidewalks as well so that people, you know, uh, you know coming, coming in, you know, I just say with a wheelchair, you don't want to be bound at home and uh, realize you can't get out because the sidewalks aren't clear. Mm-hmm. Uh, as far as greater public transit goes, um, things like Access Calgary, uh, mm-hmm. uh, bus transportation, BRT, um, any, any kind of statements beyond just just the walking amongst your sure. own neighborhood? Sure. You know, certainly we've done a lot in Calgary Transit has a lot in terms of accessibility, having, you know, both uh, low floor trains now, uh, buses, sorry, low floor buses that, you know, that uh, um, reduce to the curbside level and, uh, and people can get on. Uh, we've got, you know, accessible uh, access Calgary so, so people can do a direct call. Um, the thing I'd like to see more and more of, though, and this is uh, what people don't realize, Calgary licenses all our taxis and limousine services through what we call livery services. And I'd like to see our livery services bylaw amended so that, you know, uh, taxi fleets, a certain percentage of taxi fleets, a certain percentage of limo fleets are accessible. So again, sometimes, you know, sometimes uh, taking a bus to a doctor's office still means you have to wheel yourself down a block, whatever. I'd like to see a larger fleet of accessible, uh, you know, livery fleets taxis and limos that will take you to the door door to door so mm. uh, that would be that i think that would be a, a godsend to a lot of people and for that matter you know there's ubers out there and, and uh, maybe we can incentivize you know uh, private uber drivers to make their vehicles more accessible as well oh yeah that's, that's um it's very interesting as well um I think I'm gonna I'm gonna I'm gonna shift to something because uh, we talked a little bit about local area planning. You actually used the magic words uh, a little earlier as well. Um, it's something that was very contentious. We talked a lot about it at council, um, and it's through though non bonding non binding. It's through, so it's kind of it's over. Um, so I, I would just now that kind of the the dust has settled on the guidebook. Uh, what's your stance? What do you where do you think it failed? Where do you think it succeeds? So I wouldn't say the, I wouldn't say the the guidebook has failed. Uh, has, uh, the dust has held. The dust is going to get kicked up again, only because the the uh, eight communities in the North Hill local area plan are are still upset by the plan itself. The emerging uh, local area plans in uh, places like Heritage and and uh, uh, Westbrook and um, for that matter Riley, which is West Hillhurst and Sunnyside and that, they are uh, nervous about the uh, the process. The guidebook itself again had a different f- way in which we zone properties, right? Where the current approach is, you know, property by property, you're either single family, you're attached, attached, whatever. They wanted to make it more homogeneous by saying, well, let's just take the entire community of Banff Trail, for example, and let's just call you neighborhood local, whereby you can have attached, detached, you can have row housing. So if you take the entire, you know, uh, housing stock in there, give it that one zoning, then theoretically, any developer can come in and say, okay, well, let's take that one, make it a row house. Let's take that one, make it a, you know, whatever, whatever. By the fact it's decreed as a, at that time a statutory policy, then neighbors and, and neighbors and other adjacent property owners you will know, say, well, what right do we have to say yes or no? And I think we need to respect the fact that you, whether you own a house, your parents, your grandparents own a house, they're going to have a certain quality of life that they're, they're expecting uh, to continue. They, they bought into it. They made investments into it. So we need to respect that. Having a blanket opportunity for developers to come and do what they want, right, without, without great uh, counter voice, you know, yeah. is a concern. <clears throat> now, 
I'm not saying we don't do it. I'm just saying that we need to engage the community both at the planning stage and the application stage in a much better way of doing that. Okay. There's the second the second thing I'll, I'll say about the guidebook as well is that the engagement process is cannot be simply here you know here's two pretty pictures which are the pretty pictures do you like the better yeah right the question's got to be you know to the community to industry you know what is it keeping you up in the middle of the night oh we don't have enough housing what else is keeping you up in the middle of the night oh we don't have uh, housing of this type anything else well you know i'm afraid that our our green space is going to get eroded because of our trees are going to be taken away. The history, the heritage is gone. So when we start asking those questions, what's important to you? What's keeping you up in the middle of the night? Then we can work together and say, okay, so how do we keep those things that are important to us in place and still allow development to happen? So which is a better approach? Two pretty pictures, or you pick your pretty, pretty picture, or engaging people and asking, you know, what do you want? I guarantee if you ask you know, people what they want, they will allow densification to happen. They will allow you know, the type of housing stock you're looking for to happen, right? Mm-hmm. But they will also welcome and appreciate you because they had a hand in, in defining it. So council, certain council members, I've said before, if you ask the community, they'll just say no. So what's the point? You know, those council members that say that you know, the uh, uh, communities will just say no are disrespecting our communities. Mm. There's you know, disrespecting your parents and your grandparents who, you know, again, invested in a property and, and, and uh, love to have a great, uh, great great place for you to visit. But I'm sure a lot of them also would like to have a secondary suite in the basement to help pay some of the bills, right? But again, we just need to, we need to engage people properly. That's what re- representative councils are all about. Yeah, I, I, I know that uh, uh, kind of a, a, a strong theme of this election across all wards is, is taking a, a much closer look at the consultation process, um, results-based and results-oriented, um, community-driven um, development and, and responsible development. I'm glad you brought up green spaces. I want to touch a little bit on climate action, sure. um, something that's close to everyone's hearts who is living on planet Earth, um, but certainly uh, close to the hearts of our students as well. Uh, the, the city has a climate action plan, um, and we're not necessarily meeting all of our goals. What can we do to get ahead of the game? Yeah, so, you know, I don't know if you ever read a, a book, uh, Stephen Covey's Seven Habits, but it's a, it's a book written about my generation, let's put it that way, <laughs> but it's still, still pertinent. But one thing that Stephen Covey said is that in our lives, we need to recognize there are things that you can control, things that you can influence, and there's things that you can't influence whatsoever, right? And, and in, in, a, in a span of climate, you know, we can't control everything around global climate change. But we can certainly take care of things that we can control and influence others. The things that we can control within the city, number one, we've got you know, the ability to tap into the people who live on this earth, meaning our farmers, meaning our First, our First Nation indigenous people who rely on clean water, who rely on clean soil, who rely on the ability to grow, whether it be uh, ag- uh, uh, plant-based or ag- uh, animal-based you know, products, food for us, right? <clears throat> we need to listen to them and say, What's happening to your environment that will hurt, hurt you from growing what you need to grow? The second thing is then we need to take a look at what we are doing ourselves. The city of Calgary, when I was there you know, 30, over 30 years, we had a very good you know, uh, uh, climate, you know, climate change sort of protocol as it related to our infrastructure. 
So we're building buildings that are, you know, car, um, uh, lead, lead silver, lead gold friendly, which really means uh, less emission of carbon, uh, carbon gases that capturing methane out of the land, landfills, uh, taking a look at our water treatment plant, making sure the effluent of the water treatment plant isn't leaching into the river. So people down in Medicine Hand, Southern Alberta, or, or so we've done a lot there, but we can do a lot more within the city. Secondly, we've got a great talent pool, and through our talent pool at the city, we can influence a lot of our businesses, a lot of our, a lot of our corporations, a lot of our communities and residents. You know, educate them on these are things that you can do to, to take care of the environment, therefore take care of the climate. And that includes you know uh, moving more to pedestrian and cycling as opposed to getting your car every time, right? So those are, those are things that we can certainly influence. We can also influence uh, our provincial government and federal government to step up and you know, put in place those things that need to be done. So you're right. We're not meeting our targets, but a lot of them is because the, the, the stick, if I can use the term, or the enabler that comes from federal provincial government isn't there, right? Mm-hmm. So we need to influence them just to, to do the same. Otherwise, if, if the, uh, if the uh, senior level governments aren't doing it, chances are, especially you know, companies that are profit-oriented, are going to do just all that, they, all that they need to as opposed to all that they should be. Yeah, certainly. Um, thank you for that answer. It's definitely a, a complex issue, and it's something that's going to take all levels of government coordinating to, to deal with. Uh, we're going to close out with reconciliation, but before we get there, I just want to ask you, uh, especially in these times, it's something that we've heard uh, brought up time and time again, um, is the concept of criminal justice reform. Mm-hmm. Um, where do you think our current criminal justice system is failing, if anywhere? Um, where does it need to change or grow, if anywhere? Um, What's your take? Yeah, yes. So one of the things we often take a look at it from a from a uh, behavioral perspective is, yeah, if you commit a crime, then you know you, you have to do your time. I mean that's yeah, that's an old way of thinking, right? You have to understand why certain people are doing what they're doing, and asking yourself, is you know you know asking them due time the right way to do it, right? Asking them due time doesn't unless there's some rehab programs inside the you know the incarcerated facility. Nine times out of ten, isn't necessarily going to deter them from doing it in the future. It might say, "Well, you know, yeah, I didn't like the three, five months, six, you know, six years, whatever I spent it behind bars." But does it necessarily deter them from doing it in the future? If you haven't solved the problem, why they did it in the first in the first place? So, number one, I don't I don't necessarily believe in incarceration is is the first course. What I believe is you know identifying and finding ways to resolve the issues that they have in and so they don't repeat that crime. Right. So having said that, are there ways to, uh, before it happens, get, get into our school systems or, or uh, high school systems particularly and continue to put community resource officers in the school, not to, you know, to, uh, how to say, um, surveil, survey and, and watch for bad people, mm-hmm. but rather to work with the, work with the high school uh, students and say, hey, you know, this is what being a responsible adult is all about. This is the things that you can do, that sort of thing. Working at the same time at, at uh, other you know clubs, events, and sporting events like that, having more community-based community resource officers out there, letting people know 
that we all are part of, you know, taking care of this community. As you probably have witnessed uh, in this past year, year and a half, there's more social disorder in the downtown, more social disorder in and around, you know, Hounsfield Heights and, uh, and uh, Mount Pleasant. People, you're know, rummaging through garbage cans and uh, mm-hmm. breaking the garages, stealing bicycles. I'm sure, you know, you know classmates have lost items, right? We need to we need to stop that situation, but the way to stop it is to stop the people from starting it in the first place. Mm-hmm. And, uh, and a lot of it's because of issues associated with mental health, drug addiction, uh, homelessness. If we're going to solve those problems first, then these people may not be in a situation of desperate need to be able to resort to something like that. Mm-hmm. So, again, let's solve, let's solve that, that social justice uh, problem at the source rather than after it's been done and uh, through an enforcement and uh, you know, crime and time situation. Certainly. Uh, speaking about those community resource officers, uh, I know one of the concerns um, about when we're talking about how to deal with this, and it, it, it's always, uh, I think it's comforting knowing that we, m- most of the candidates that we sp- we're speaking to um, are really talking about this in a, you know, solving a problem at its source um, uh, kind of mindset. We're talking about com- the, one of the concerns really is um, our police officers, um, the best suited to deal with this, especially when we're talking with preventative uh, measures like community resource officers. Would you be seeking specially trained police officers to kind of fill those roles in those communities? Or would you want that to be taken up by perhaps counselors, uh, addiction specialists, uh, some, something yeah. uh, you know outsourced from the CPS? So there's, there's uh, two dimensions that I can use on that one. The, fir- the first dimension is if you're in a, um, I say an abusive situation, a uh, crime situation, uh, whatever situation, the, the very first tenant is protect the environment, protect the community. So again, two o'clock in the morning, you get a 911 call, you know, desperate situation, somebody's, you know, uh, been assaulted, right? And it could be a domestic ex- uh, abuse situation. Calling out a uh, community services social worker out to the site, they're going to say, number one, is that site secure? I'm not going in until that site's secure. So we need to ensure, you know, the security of the site is done by trained police officers who know how to de-escalate the situation, secure the situ- you know, site. It is not necessarily specialized police officers or special units. It's all police officers. All police officers, we have to you know, establish a culture, right, that they're there to protect and serve, right? Protecting is also protecting the, 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 the culprit as much as the victim, right? So protecting them, meaning that, you know, we're not going to go out there and, and tackle you and, and pound you to the ground and put a, a handcuffs on you right away. We're going to find a way to de- de-escalate in, 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 in using, you know, using, uh, um, uh, what do you call it? They just said there's a term for it, but, you know, skills, communication skills that help, you know, uh, um, you know um, reduce the volatility of the environment, I guess the best way of putting it. Mm-hmm. So having, the, having our police officers trained that way, having the culture in police and police force trained that way, having them you know, disciplined so that people who do it are, you know, serious actions are taken that way, that's important. It doesn't mean taking resources away from them. Having said that, we do need to complement, you know, the police officer and independently our social services people with, you know, the right resources and tools to get out there to do their job. Now, I know Calgary Police does do ride-alongs on having police and a social worker with them. And uh, could we uh, supplement, you know, more, more money and resources to do that? Certainly we can. Right. Certainly. Um, I, I could talk about, you know, criminal justice reform or zoning uh, all, all day, but we are coming up a little uh, close to our time and I am known for going over time. Um, so I will 
uh, toss to Dawson to close us out. Wonderful. Thank you, Liam. Uh, yeah, so I'll be closing off with reconciliation. With reconcil reconciliation in mind, many of our indigenous communities in the city struggle with barriers, like you mentioned earlier, addictions and mental health struggles. What is your stance on giving back to these communities to ensure they're not just being spoken for, but supported through various resources in the city um, that the city can provide so they aren't um, being left behind? Yeah, yeah. So I think it goes back to a couple of things, first and foremost. <clears throat> when we talk about truth and reconciliation, you know, people say we need to you know, deal with the reconciliation. We need to resolve, you know, whatever happened in the past, right? I believe you need to start with the truth. We need to people to understand the realities of it, not just to read it in textbooks and say, oh, you know, I've got enough of it, now let's do. No, you need to understand the truth in terms of how people you know, feel about it. You know, when I say people, our First Nations Indigenous people, how they feel about it, how it affects them you know, in their soul. And when you truly understand how it affects them in their soul, then you can truly move forward in reconciliation because the reconciliation will therefore the, then be more fulsome, right? The second part of that is understand, you know, what you know, um, is the realm of reconciliation within our, you know, within the Calgary environment particularly. Go back to 2016, uh, you know, um, uh, White Goose Flying Report, right? A lot of good cap a lot of good thoughts captured in there, and similarly, a lot of good uh, strategies in there. And we need to identify what sort of, again, going back to this, what can you control, what can you influence? Identify those things that you can take action on, you can control it, manage it, and move forward. As a councillor, for example, I will, like at the city, every report that goes to city council today has what we call a triple bottom line, social, environmental, economical, right? I'd be adding a fourth one in there, and that's indigenous, right? To ensure that every single report, whether it's talking about parks or whether it's talking about, you know, water treatment plants, it always has that lens of saying, have we taken that look at indigenous First Nations rights, whether it be affecting their land rights, whether it be affecting their social you know, standards, whether it be affecting, you know, the economics, uh, you know, sustainability of them. We need to take a look at that. The third part of that is, and we do have a very good at City Calgary today Indigenous uh, office in there, and but the the purpose of the Indigenous office is to ensure that every line of business at the city, all the managers, all the staff understand. Again, it's not something to to take a token look at; it's something to be part of the mainstream of what you think. So. That is from the bureaucratic and administrative side of the equation. Some of the things that we could do ourselves out in the community, right? We, you know, uh, we need to be able to you know, endorse support. You know, we need to, to uh, recognize. We need to be able to, to be uh, walking hand-in-hand in, hand in partners with, you know, the people who, uh, you know, want to want their stories told and heard and, and, uh, and uh, reconciled with, right? So... For anybody who wants to go out there and protest against it or saying that, you know, this, this society is being too, you know, too focused on, you know, what they may call, you know, this time and moment issue. No, it's not a time and moment issue. This has been happening for, you know, longer than 100, 150 years of, you know, Canada's Confederation, right? And, um, you know, I'll say as a bit of side side part. The Chinese community has been here pretty much as, uh, since uh, Canada, Cal Calgary was established, and we've gone through our own, you know, discrimination as well. But the point being is that we're not looking necessarily to say, hey, you know, woe us. More, more importantly, like the First Nations Indigenous, we're just saying, hey, watch us, because you know, you know, we need to, people to understand our lives, our health, our mental health, our family health, are are just as important as yours. Yeah, absolutely. Thank you so much. Um, 
I really um, just want to say thank you for um, for answering that question. Um, earlier, you were saying before when you were answering that question, I think Liam might have asked you, um, said how you had people, artists come in and paint murals and whatnot to end. I think something I really love to see is more like indigenous artists giving the spotlight and giving our voice because um, something I like to kind of like say is like, you know, we're, we're, we're not just our pain, we're not just our past. We have a lot of beauty, we have a lot of um, laughter, we are love mm -hmm. and we are joy too. And it'd be really like amazing to see that throughout the city. Mm -hmm. um, but um, yeah, thank you so much for answering that question. Yeah, one of the things I will say in terms of the Chinese community, the Chinese community and the First Nations community has had a long history of working together and supporting each other and we will continue to do that as well. Thank you both. Um, and thank you, uh, Mr. Wong, for coming in and, and talking to us today. Um, or, sorry, rather, meeting us in the interview dimension. Um, <laughs> How did you forget, Lee? You know, sometimes the interview dimension <laughs> looks a lot like Campus Center. Um, we, uh, I will... Uh, uh, I'll let you go, let you get back to the doors or uh, maybe a forum, whatever's on your plate in these closing days of the election. But before I do, do you have any questions for us or any closing comments? Uh, no, I certainly, again, appreciate the opportunity of being here and I certainly appreciate the audience who are out there listening and, and watching in that. And uh, again, Hounsford Heights, Prior Hill is a community that we have a lot of students in there and we you want to make it a great destination just as much as you want to make Chinatown and uh, the entire city of Calgary a destination and a great experience for everybody. Um, you know, I know people will often say that we are in an economic time which is not the not necessarily the, the, the best in terms of, uh, you know, job prospects and this and that. There are jobs, there are opportunities out there. Uh, the city of Calgary will, you know, obviously uh, are, are hiring, um, you know, students uh, throughout, you know, um, whether it be the summer programs or whatever. But it really gets down to, you know, don't give up, you know, and, and, and keep, you know, keep pushing. There's a lot of innovativeness, ingenuity that's out there. A lot of it's done in this, this virtual world, this, uh, um, you know, space that uh, doesn't, isn't bound, bound by four walls and bound by a, uh, you know, bound by a eight to four type of job. There's a lot of opportunity out there. Um, but the second thing I will say is that there's a lot of good mentors out there, people who will really take you under the wings and, and help you, you know, with, uh, you know, finding a course of where to go, uh, maybe finding some resources and finances and make it happen, and and certainly uh, uh, giving of a lot of uh, giving of a lot of their uh, mentorship. So, uh, again, uh, don't be afraid to ask. And uh, the third thing, Calgary is a great city, and uh, as much as people say it's time to go to Vancouver, time to go to Toronto. Yes, it's a great city to be in, but it's also an expensive city to be in, and uh, and jobs aren't quite what you might think it out there either. So, uh, don't give up hope in Calgary. Thank you so much, and uh, thank, thank you for touching on the graduate retention uh, point right up there at the end as well. It's something that's top of mind, making sure that uh, students feel like Calgary is a city for them or as uh, a place to stick around. Um, thank, thank you again for meeting us in the interview dimension. Uh, I will remind students at this juncture to vote, vote, vote. October 18th is election day if you don't do advanced polling, but you should do advanced polling. Why? Because we fought to make sure that you can do it right here on campus. October 6th is the day to vote for Ward 7, which is the ward this interview uh, pertains to. Uh, it's gonna be right here in Campus Center, the building, the beautiful building that we are recording in today. Uh, come on down to Campus Center, make sure your ID is ready, make sure you know how to vote, you have a vote plan, but do it October 6th. I think that might be tomorrow, right? Is it the 5th? 
do it tomorrow for the day after this recording. So there's no way you're going to hear this in time. I take it all back. Don't vote October 6th. Vote on October 18th. Vote on October 18th because we recorded this (laughs) too close to the advance voting day. Thank you so much for everybody for listening. Uh, and, And thank you, Mr. Wong. Oh, thank allow you. you to return to your activities here in the uh, interview dimension. Good luck getting out of the interview dimension. We're going to keep heading towards our teleporter pad. Very good. We'll talk to you soon. Thank you. Right. Talk to you soon. Bye. All right, Dawson, let's figure out how to get there. Just follow up. Just keep the river on the right, and let's just keep walking. You know what? I actually don't mind getting lost. I'm just going to keep getting us lost because we keep seeing, we keep seeing to uh, finding cannons this way. So. Oh, my God. Sorry. We're going to die here. I'm fine with that. You should be too. <laughs>